I just feel the need to pray before we say anything else. So let's bow our heads and let's ask Jesus to bless us with the Holy Spirit. Father, we just thank you because you are our rock. And Lord, while the whole world around us falls apart, we just thank you, God, that we have an anchor in you. Father, we pray that we would never leave your proximity. And God, we ask that you would bless this sermon. May the Holy Spirit be present as we begin this brand new year with you. Jesus, we pray you would lift our burdens and we pray for the present blessing in your precious name, Jesus Christ, we ask all these things. Amen. Happy Sabbath and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Beginning a, a brand new year. It's like we don't even take a breath, ladies and gentlemen. As soon as 2013 is down, going down, we're just like, oh, all of a sudden 2014 has already begun. You know what I'm talking about? And it's like we just hit the ground running. No time to rest. You know, I just came back from Orlando, Florida. I was at this conference and uh, preached seven times. And let me tell you something. I have never been as worn out as I've been with this conference. I mean, this one really wore me out. Seven times. And that's seven hours of talking, okay? I know some of you have that gift, but I don't. And so when, when I was done with this seminar, I mean, I was just tired. Came here Monday morning, but there was just so much to do. God is busy. Amen? He is so busy, and we need to be about His work. We also need balance in our lives, too. Right? You know, this is a, a brand new year, and a lot of people like to set, set resolutions. I asked this last year. I'm going to ask this again. How many people here have set New Year's resolutions? Raise your hand. Three, four. Four? So the rest of you guys aren't planning anything new with this brand new year. I think you guys are the wiser bunch. <laughs> but, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to ask you a question right now. If you were going to set a New Year's resolution, or if you have set a New Year's resolution, what is that resolution? Please raise your hand. I'd like to hear something really good. Gary. Amen. Praise the Lord. Do you guys hear what he said? He, wake, he wakes up in the morning and spends at least 15 to 30 minutes with Jesus in the Bible. Right? That's an awesome resolution. Anybody else? Elizabeth? Hold up. Okay. Amen. Amen. Your, your New Year's resolution is to have promises you don't keep. That's a unique one. I've never heard that one before. Anybody else? We had a hand over here? Where am I looking at? Royce. Increase, increase your devotion time. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Nobody else has any New Year's resolutions. Yes. You want to paint a Jesus painting for this brand new year. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Yes, Ellie. Okay, praise the Lord. We have one more hand. Yes. Spending more time with who? Okay, praise the Lord. Anybody else? Yes. Being able to what? Amen. We'll be praying for you, sister. With a hand over here. Yes. Okay, we'll start with you. Judgmental. You want to be judgmental, or you want to stop being judgmental? Okay. No, I don't want to be judgmental. Hey, I've heard some unique ones. Okay. How about you? To be a better person in 2013. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Anybody else got a unique? Yes. How about you? Learn a new language. That's awesome. Anybody else? Yes. How about you, Tom? Okay. 
Okay, wow. Very good. Lord bless you. How about you? Learn and practice good health. Those are all great resolutions. Miguel, you got something? Amen. Praise the Lord. Those are all good resolutions, great resolutions. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen? God wants us to resolutions. He wants us to have good decision making. Now, we don't always have to wait till the beginning of the year to do these things, but every day in our lives, we should be making good decisions. I know some of us sometimes feel like, you know what, I have tried making good decisions in my life, and I feel like I can't change. You ever been at that point, ladies and gentlemen, when you felt like you were just like, okay, God, I have tried over and over and over and over again. I just can't change. I've hit a brick wall. Well, God wants us to understand something. The very first step in changing, ladies and gentlemen, is simply to make a decision. Now, the power will come from Jesus if we consent to do his will. He will give us strength to do these things. You know, this whole world is looking for change. Everybody for some kind of transformation. That's why one of the biggest sellers in the bookstore is the self-help section. And there's so many different books about changing this or changing this in your lifestyle or transforming this. And people are looking for something that can truly change who they really are. Now, God is calling us in this journey of life into a journey of holiness to follow him, to grow more and more. The Bible says something very remarkable in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9. Look what it says right here. For we have been made a what? A what? A spectacle to the who? The world, both who? To angels and to what? Men. Here speaking something very powerful. Don't miss this point, ladies and gentlemen. He says, we are a spectacle to this whole world. Not just to men, ladies and gentlemen, but to who? Angels. Obviously, this world, the word world is probably the word cosmos in Greek. Applying to our world, but it's applying to this entire universe. A universe that is full of unfallen worlds that are watching this very planet. Now, what's so unique about the word spectacle, it's the Greek word theatron where you get this word amphitheater or coliseum. And it comes from that Roman word that has to do when people are seated in the amphitheater and they are watching something in the middle of the floor over there, in the platform. And oftentimes, during those Roman times when Paul was living, he, was, he would sometimes be a spectator to these very things. You go to the Colosseum and you would see chariot races. And all the spectators would be watching to see what would take place. And it was very dangerous too. Sometimes they would be watching the center and they would see all kinds of sports games. Wrestling was really big. Running was really big. Javelin was throwing was very big. There were all kinds of sports. But one of the most popular things that spectators would be watching during Paul's time is... Ladies and gentlemen, pay attention to this. What they were watching many times would be gladiatorial combats or combat taking place. And many people would come to this. It was one of the most popular sports during Paul's day. So everybody would be watching this and they would be cheering to see one gladiator kill another gladiator. And there was all sorts of dynamics involved in this gladiatorial combat. What is so interesting about this is that what they were seeing was a life and death struggle. Oftentimes the gladiators would begin before they fight. They would bow to the crowd and they would say something like this. I was reading one report of something that was written in some vase by some gladiators and they said, 
we salute you before we die. Can you imagine that? And so what they were seeing, combat, this battle taking place, a fight to death. Now Paul does something very interesting. He borrows from that same kind of circumstance and he says this, you are a spectacle to to men. In other words, the whole universe is watching your life and death struggle. They are seeing the great controversy play out in your life, ladies and gentlemen. Now, we may think to ourselves, well, I really don't have an existence that's out in the limelight. I'm not somebody who is well known. Ladies and gentlemen, the whole universe is watching you regardless of how well known you are or famous or infamous you are. You may be somebody who's very quiet, but the whole universe is still watching your life. And they are seeing this life and death battle take place in your very existence. And that's why it's very important for us, ladies and gentlemen, to make good decisions. Amen? And to follow on and keep going in this path of holiness to reflect God's glory and to be victorious in this life. When you read the book of Revelation, the number one promise is this. He who overcomes, I will do this. He who overcomes, I will do this. He who overcomes, I will do this. Over and over again, you see it in the scriptures in the book of Revelation, specifically tied to God's end time people. He who overcomes. Why? Because God is communicating a point. That most people lose in this life. Most people are defeated. But God is saying to you, I want you to be victorious in your life. In this life and death struggle, the whole universe is beholding. God wants you to come out as the one who is victorious. In fact, the word Israel, ladies and gentlemen, the name he gives to his church, his people, means one who has wrestled with God and has prevailed. Victorious is the name of your heavenly family, ladies and gentlemen, your church family. God wants you to be victorious in the battle of life. And that starts by making good decisions. Look what the Bible says right here. This is Paul, who was a spectator to some of these sports. He used it as an analogy to describe his own Christian experience. Look what he says right here. Do you not know that those who what? Run in a race all But one receives the what? Now, when you are watching a race, say you're watching some kind of Olympic race, the guy is trying to get to the end so that he can win. He wants to be numero uno. All of them are going to complete the race, but this guy says, I want to be the first. Look what he says next. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Now, he doesn't say, you should run this race so you can be first. He says, you run this race so you can finish it because most people don't. Look what he says next. And everyone who competes for the prize is what? Say those next words, ladies and gentlemen. Temperate in all what? Things. The word temperate means self-control. Why? Because when Paul would be a spectator to some of these sports, while he was watching the gladiators fight or these runners that would be running, he'd probably be looking off in the corner and he would be seeing some people probably doing some push-ups, lifting some weights. He would see people probably, you know, hitting a wall or something. He would see people train. And he would see the depths, the lengths that they would go to to win in that combat or that, or that race. So he says, he who's doing this is tempering all things. He has self-control. Well, look what he says next. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for a what? An imperishable crown. Therefore, I what? Run thus. 
not with uncertainty. Paul says, I'm not entering into this race thinking to myself, well, I may not make it. Paul says, I'm stepping into this race because I know I'm going to win. Look what he says next. Not, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. He says, look, I'm not just entering into just to have a match with some shadow. He says, I'm fighting a real life and death struggle. Well, look what he says next. But I, what's those next words? Discipline my what? Body and bring it into what? Subjection. Notice this. The word subjection is the word slavery. What is Paul saying he is going to bring into slavery? The body. He's saying, I'm going to make my body into a slave. Now that seems a little extreme. But ladies and gentlemen, most people, most people have this kind of dynamic to their life. Their mind is a slave to their body. And Paul says, wrong. For me, my body will be a slave to my mind. Why? Because the body is the greatest access to the mind itself. What you do to your body affects your mind, and what affects your mind affects your spirituality. And so Paul is saying, as I'm running this this race for all of eternity, he says, I am training. I am working. And he says, I'm entering in not to lose, but to win. Look what he says next. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become what? Disqualified. Paul says, while I'm trying to get people on this track to win this race, he says, I want to make sure I win too. Lest I be one of those people that falls by the wayside. And by the way, there are many people in the church who are falling away. But God is calling us to keep going and to remember the certain words of Paul because they are very important. We need to have good New Year's resolutions. And through the power of God, those resolutions can be made. Well, let's look at something to have for the beginning of the year. A good resolution. If you need a stretch, this is going to be tough for some people. Good regular health habits. Good regular health habits. Now, if you take a good look at that picture, it comes from a very infamous restaurant in Arizona. Name of the place is obviously probably the result of what takes place when those people eat the food. It's called Heart Attack Grill. And rightly named so. Take a good look at some of the names of those burgers. A single bypass burger. A double bypass burger. A triple bypass burger. And a quadruple bypass. It's a sin to eat that stuff, ladies and gentlemen. But this is something God wants us to understand. This is extremely important. While the world is getting worse and worse in regards to health and these sort of other things set up to cover up from these issues that are taking place, God wants us to recognize that health is also a very special gift from Him, but we have to make effort in that. Do you know what was so interesting? I shared this at GYC. Do you remember Jacob, the story of Jacob, when that old man saw Pharaoh, uh, Joseph's boss, what did he do? He laid his hand, the Bible says, on him and blessed him. Ellen White says, in conscious superiority, Jacob laid his hand on the Pharaoh. And no one touched Pharaoh. No one even looked at Pharaoh. But Jacob knew that he was a prince of God. And so he laid his hand on this Pharaoh. But do you remember the words of Pharaoh right after that? Pharaoh said, how old are you? You want to know why? Egyptians never lived that long. Egyptians never saw somebody live that long. 
They were quite chuffed with, wait a minute, do you? We don't see people like you around here. And he was so blown away, and that's why he asked that question. But you see, it was designed to be a witness to even Pharaoh himself about the benefits of keeping God's law. Can you say amen to that? And God wants us to understand that the health message is not to be this stick that you beat people over the head with. No, no, no. It's designed to be a blessing. And there's nothing more than the devil would want than to make it a curse to this world. God wants us to be healthy to glorify him, to live longer so that we could serve him longer. Amen? And so it's important every day as we are beginning this this journey in 2014 that we set good health habits, very good health habits. In fact, what is so interesting, some remarkable research actually came out about these gladiators. Let's find out. Gladiators were mostly what? Vegetarians. Well, that's how they understand. See how they understand that. And their diets consisted, above all, barley and vegetables. They were neither too poor to buy meat or staunch defenders of animal rights. Instead, their carbohydrate-rich diets made them put on weight, which both protected them during fights and made them appear more spectacular, which pleased the crowds. They were overweight vegetarians. (laughs) And it was designed with that armor. When they would come out, it would be quite scary. But at the same time, these people could recognize there were benefits to being a vegetarian. Watch what else is said right here. A few years ago, some researchers discovered a plot of gladiator gladiator graves. And through analysis of the gladiator, uh, gladiator, excuse me, bones discovered that the ancient gladiators ate a plant-based diet that was extremely high in carbohydrates such as barley and legumes. In fact, in contemporary accounts of gladiator life, gladiators were often referred to as horiari, which literally means barley men. Barley men. These men who trained night and day, these men that had people who were preparing them for this combat, this great uh, spectator sport, they understood, wait a minute, there are benefits in changing our diets. And so they became a spectacle when they came out. Large men who could apparently move like skinny men. And it was a spectacle. And that's why Paul borrows from that same illustration. He says, you are a spectacle to this world. You gladiators you're not called to be a wimp in this world you are called to be a spiritual powerhouse and as you go to war in this life ladies and gentlemen as you struggle in existence God is saying I want to give you the victory and like Paul we need to be temperate in all things amen Amen. so I want you to really start thinking to yourself wait a minute are there certain patterns in my life that lead to the most unpleasant circumstances you hear what I'm saying if there are certain things in my life that are causing me to fall or leading me in fire of destruction then I need to reevaluate some things you know what's so interesting and I, and I just want to be very frank especially for the men you, you know what I'm about to say to you right now and I really want you to examine yourself on this. Don't look to me. I want you to examine yourself on this issue. If you eat a lot of meat, do not be surprised if you are struggle, struggling with sexuality. You hear what I just said? 
If you eat a lot of meat, do not be surprised by that stuff. That meat just stays in there. It starts fermenting, takes a while. And what happens, blood leaves the brain. And it basically leaves you really numb. And you're more susceptible to these other kinds of influences. Like Ellen White says, animal passions. Sometimes at mainstream Christianity and they talk about hey these are ways to overcome these are ways to overcome these are ways to overcome dying is never brought into that because they do not see the body and mind connection but one of the great contributions of Seventh Day Adventism is this understanding that what you put in your body ultimately affects your mind in fact I love what Ellen White says right here the controlling power of appetite will prove the ruin of thousands when if they had conquered on this point watch what she says right here when if they conquered on this point they would have more power to gain the victory over every other temptation of Satan where did Adam and Eve fall? on what point? appetite and by the way where did Jesus begin his ministry? on what point? where did the devil bring his temptation? It was about appetite. Turn these stones into what? Bread. Why? Because ultimately, by getting him to do that, he was wanting him to fall in the final temptation, which was what? Bow down and worship me. Look what she says right here. But those who are slaves to appetite will fail in perfecting Christian character. The continual transgression of men for 6,000 years has brought sickness, pain, and death as its fruit. Ladies and gentlemen, the unusual thing about our generation, we have lived with 6,000 years of sin. We are unlike any other generation. Out of all of humanity, we are considered the weakest humans that have ever lived. As we near the close of time, Satan's temptation, look at this, to indulge appetite will be more powerful and more what? Difficult to what? Overcome. In fact, take a good look at the billboards. They're not suggestions. They're commands. Obey your thirst. Eat Carl's Jr. now. Do the do. Thank you. Their commands. Why? Because the world understands by putting these pictures up and by stating commands that somehow it influences your mind and you're just going to be like, oh, I'm just going to go home, go get some home-cooked food with my wife. All of a sudden, I'm going to jack in the box. Do you have a triple bypass burger here? The world is smart. But God wants us to recognize, wait a minute, we careful about our health, but because if we do not, what happens is morally we are affected. Ladies and gentlemen, this isn't about so much this idea of your standing before God. Get this 1980s Adventism out of your mind. This is about this understanding that you have a personal life and death struggle in your spirituality. And the things you put into your life determine whether you will be victorious or not. Do you remember the story of Esau? He sold his entire birthright for some food. And many people are doing that to their lives today. But God wants us to recognize, wait a second, are there things that are affecting me? If you have a husband or if you have a wife, ladies and gentlemen, don't you want to see your grandchildren grow up? Don't you want to see your children graduate from school? Don't you want that privilege, that blessing? God wants you to have that blessing. 
Look what Paul says again right here. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives a prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is what? Temperate in all things. Self-control. Now they do it to obtain a perishable for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Now the next thing comes, wait a minute, I have tried to make proper decisions, healthy decisions for my life, but I keep failing. Now God wants us to understand a very powerful point right here. Take a good look at what Paul says here. Everyone who competes for the prize is what? Temperate. The word temperate is the Greek word Control. God is not saying you attempt but what God is saying is let me help you and strengthen your will so that you may possess self-control. Look what she says right here, praying for the Holy Spirit. This is so powerful. Excuse me, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies. <gasps> That is so sorrowful when you're reading that stuff. You just want to go to the book of Psalms, don't you? Outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I saw told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Not because God is saying, well, you're just not meeting my standard. But because God understands not enter into heaven again. We would have another rebellion. There'd be another rebellion. Another Lucifer. And so God is saying, hey, you cannot be in this atmosphere. We cannot have these things. But look what he says next. But the what? Fruit of the what? Now pay attention to this. Take a good look at those two words. The works of the what? Flesh and the what? Fruits of the what? Spirit. Notice how both of those come about. The works of the flesh come about by whose work? Well, your work. You do it. But notice this. The fruit of the what? Spirit. In other words, as the spirit is in you, what happens is naturally certain characteristics start coming out. Notice that those are two different methods. The works of the flesh is your work. The fruits of the spirit is the power of the indwelling spirit. And what is the fruits of the spirit? But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. What is that last category, ladies and gentlemen? Self-what? Control. Self-control. God is saying to you that when you are daily praying for the Holy Spirit, and that's resolution number two, when you are daily praying for the Holy Spirit, what begins to take place is a transformation that you cannot do. And the devil fears the prayer for the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's very important every single day that we begin this day saying, Lord, baptize us afresh with the Holy Spirit. May the fruits of the Spirit be present in me. And you will way, ladies and gentlemen, as God begins to do a powerful work around you. Amen? Resolution number two. Praying for the daily baptism of the Holy Spirit is extremely, extremely important and necessary to succeed in this combat of life. Number three. Regular study of the what? The Word. Spending each day studying God's Word. I like what Gary was saying, making a resolution that when you wake up, the first thing you should do is spend time with Jesus. Now, I was thinking about this, and this came to my mind. One of the most powerful 
reasons why I spend time with God's word, and some of you know this to be true, is this. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, it is established. Oftentimes, when we begin the day reading something in the Word, what God will do to confirm that He has spoken to you personally is that what you read in the Word will be confirmed via a Sabbath school, via a sermon. It could be some circumstance, somebody, some Christian said to you, something some Christian said to you, and what begins to take place is you begin to notice, wait a minute, this same thought came two or three times to me today, indicating God is speaking to you personally. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is an extremely important point. We miss this point all the time. We'll read something in the morning, and we're just like, I am so blown away. And somehow the pastor is just preaching on the exact same topic. He doesn't got some video camera in your house. He doesn't know what you're reading. Oftentimes, I'll walk through Sabbath school, and I'm not there thinking to myself, oh, man, I better just write down what Ed Home is talking about today. I don't do that. But it's so remarkable, I often see that the same things that the Sabbath school is talking about are the same things I'm preaching about. Why? Because the Spirit of God is confirming His witness to you personally. But if you never open up the Word each day, you will become more and more confused about the direction God would have you to go. You know, I heard about this story about this. Some of you guys might be aware of it. This Adventist pastor who said to himself, Oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to become an atheist for 12 months. You guys aware of this? And uh, he was actually from the Hollywood church. He got fired for definitely justifiable reasons. And so he decided, he said, you know what, I'm going to be an atheist for 12 months. I'm going to live as an atheist. I'm not going to talk to God. I'm not going to trust in divine providence. These are things that he said. He even said, I'm not going to read the Bible. I'm going to read authors. I'm going to talk to atheist people. I'm going to blog what it's like to be an atheist for one whole year. That's heartbreaking to me. You know what I mean? You know why it's so heartbreaking to me? Aside from the negativity that it causes to denominational ties, or even the horrible influence it casts upon those who are looking at him, and this so-called nobility on this intellectual journey, the most heartbreaking thing about this is he's cutting off a relationship with the God of love. He's pushing that aside. And I'm just blown away. How could you do that? You know, I gave this analogy on Facebook. I got a million hits on it because some people took me literally. I said this. Um, in 19 years of marriage, after I get married for 19 years, I'm going to take one whole year off from my wife. I'm not going to talk to my wife for one whole year. I'm going to talk to only single people, read books written by single people, blog about what it's like to be single for a whole year. I want you to also buy the book. It's called A Year Without Marriage. Now, just think about this. And what's so crazy is that some people were like, you're really going to do that, Anel? <laughs> it's always a jokester, Sabbath morning. <laughs> Don't miss this point, though. Don't miss it, though. What kind of thought is that to cut off a relationship with your loving wife for one whole year and expect things to be okay when you come back. There are ramifications 
when we played this kind of game or have this stunt. It's like a policeman who says one day, you know what, I, I just want to know what it's like to be criminal, so I'm going to be a year, I'm going to take a year off to be a criminal. And I'm just going to write books about what it's like to be a criminal, do what criminals do, and then expect that ramifications to that decision making. See, what happens is if we tell ourselves, well, I'm just going to take the Bible right here, and I'm going to say, wow, that's really nice, but you know what, the world is just a little too important. What we begin to do is we begin to sever that connection with Jesus and how the heart of God breaks when we do such things. Ladies and gentlemen, a great resolution, probably nothing better than this resolution, is to start each day with the time with time with Jesus. Amen? Opening up the Bible and seeing the love of God. Look what the Bible says right here. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now notice this. Look what Paul is saying right here. Lay aside the sin. Lay aside the weights. He says to this, keep running with endurance. But then he says, wait a minute, this is how you do it. Well, how do we do it then? Looking unto who? Jesus, the what? Author and finisher of our what? Who finished the race already, ladies and gentlemen? Jesus, and he succeeded. And so what Paul is saying is, as you are running this race, look to Jesus. And as you look to Jesus, all of a sudden, the weight of sin begins to get thrown off. As you look to Jesus, what begins to happen is, you start finding endurance you never had before. Amen? And that endurance is important. Now we're going to do something very important. Take out your Bibles. Go to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. It's time to look for Jesus. Time to look for Jesus. Oftentimes people are reading the Bible separate from this perspective of looking for Jesus. We need to look for Jesus in everything. More and more as we grow in our spirituality, the love of Jesus begins to become more and more prominent. Now what you are looking at when you are reading the story of Genesis chapter 2, you are looking at the story of who? The story of who? Abraham and who? The sacrifice of Isaac, right? Well, he didn't sacrifice Isaac, but he did in his heart, right? He had to come to that place. Now, I want you to find something in that whole story that is a parallel to Jesus. Go. If you have something, raise your hand. Genesis chapter 22. We need to see Jesus. Yes, Millie. Okay, very good. Now, notice the very intro. God says, take your son, your only son, Isaac. What does that remind you of? John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Very intentional. Where else do you see Jesus in this whole story? Yes. God himself will provide a lamb. And what does that make you think of when it comes to Jesus? Jesus is the lamb of God. What else do you see in Genesis 22? Come on, anybody else? Yes, somebody besides Millie. Sorry. Scott, what do you see in, about Jesus in Genesis 22? Reminds you of Jesus, right? Who became our substitute. Where else do you see Jesus in Genesis 22? Yes, Paul. What does it say? Reminds you of Jesus, right? Anybody else? Yes, Ted. That's right, very good. Don. What did Abraham believe about the sacrifice? He believed in the resurrection, right? That 
Isaac would come back with him. Anybody else? That's all the Jesus you see in Genesis 22. Yes, Don. That's right. Very good. Anybody else? Tell me. He did, right? And God provided. Anybody else? It's all the Jesus in Genesis 22. Tell me, Kim. That's right. Very good. Anybody else? Ken. Both were willing sacrifices. That's very important, right? Isaac could have easily overpowered Abraham. Anybody else? What does 18 say? It's okay. There's still Jesus there. Anybody else? By the way, do you know what Abraham was introduced to when he came off that mountain? He got word that his relatives just gave birth to a girl. And you know who that girl was? Isaac's wife, future wife. After the sacrifice of Christ, the bride of Christ comes into the story. Yes, that's right. Ladies and gentlemen, I promise you this. You spend time in Genesis 22, you will find Jesus. More and more as we're spending time in the Word, we should not just look with this perspective of like, what is God saying to me? We should also be looking with this perspective, what is God saying about Jesus? And you will find throughout the whole scripture and all of a sudden your Bible study will take on a brand new excitement as you spend time in the word of God. Amen? So daily Bible study is super important. And as we see Jesus throughout the whole Bible, more and more it will become a living experience for us. Finding Jesus in the word. Resolution number four. Regular church what? Participation. Did you know one of my friends was telling me about this. Some of you guys have heard of this. Anybody here ever read the book called Born to Run? Two people. Good. Three people. Born to Run is about a very unusual tribe that lives in North Mexico, Copper Canyon. And the name of this tribe, I always mispronounce it, but it's the Taramuhara tribe. And they are what's called a running tribe. In other words, they just run all the time. Researchers have a difficult time finding this tribe because they're always running. What they found out is that this tribe in two days can do almost 500 miles. Two days. Leave Modesto, be down in Southern California. A couple days. Think about it. Scott Wendt can't even get close to that. <laughs> They've actually tested them against marathon runners... And they blow the marathon runners away. They've also tested them against ultra-marathon runners. Do you know what an ultra-marathon runner is? Not somebody who runs 26 miles. Do you know what an ultra-marathon runner runs? 40 up to 100 miles in one marathon. Now imagine these guys. And what's so interesting is that their wives run only 40 to 60 miles a day. Only. They're considered these super athletes. And what is so unusual about this is that they have tried to figure out how is it that this tribe can actually outdo some of our best athletes that have the best kind of sports psychologists, the best kind of dietitians. How can this group of people outrun our best people? And what they discovered about this tribe is they had a few different things. Like what's so interesting is they didn't like running with regular shoes. One time they tried to give them a bunch of Nikes. They all found the Nikes in the bush later on. They like running with the most natural feel, so they'll make sandals out of these tires, car tires that are on the ground. 
happens is they'll put these things on and they just like running. But they try to find out, wait a minute, how can you guys do so well? And what they begin to discover is that this group shares a very unusual fellowship. In other words, they like doing things in groups. They don't even like winning individually. They like doing things as a family. And that's how they're raised up. In fact, when they're running as groups, when they're younger, what they do is they'll carry a heavy ball and they'll like pass it to somebody else while they're running because they just like doing things as groups. They encourage each other as a group. One researcher wanting to find out if there could be another Tarmuhara tribe, Tarmuhara tribe down the road, if they could beat this particular tribe, said this is what we're going to do. We're going to put these two tribes together and we're going to see who's the faster one. And what was so unusual is they all won the race together. The things that they tried to do to divide these two tribes, they could not. Because what was present in their endurance was this idea of camaraderie, of fellowship, of family. And so they would always win as a family. They would go through the race as a family. And when one would lag, what they would do is they would just get behind them, encourage them, catch them back up with the group, and then keep going in this race. The church is like that. This is why God gives us the church, so that we can do things together as a group. God knows that you can't get to heaven just by yourself. And the kingdom of heaven is based upon this relationship dynamic. And so present in the church must be this relationship dynamic. Paul says something so remarkable. And let us consider one another in order to stir up what? Love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Watch this. As in the manner of some. Paul's pointing at a problem. That some people think they can do church without the church. And he says, don't be like those people. They will fail. He says this, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. Do you know what the word forsake means? It doesn't just imply, well, hey guys, I'll catch up with you later. Forsaking means you're abandoning them. Well, why would some people abandon the church? Like that needs an answer. We know about the struggle sometimes in coming close to a family. God wants us to say and says, look, you need to come together and you need to operate together. And look what he says. But exhorting one another, in some translations says, encouraging one another. Now, this is so amazing. Look what he says next. So much the what? The more. As you see the what? Day approaching. He says, as you get closer and closer to the second coming, you should not be separating yourself. You should be coming together. You should be coming together in fellowship. In Sabbath, coming together to worship God. And as you do that, you yourself will be strengthened. God does not want us to have this kind of religion. Church is one part of our lives, and the rest of our life is another category. And that's where hypocrisy starts developing. He says, bring it together. You know, it's a brand new year. Nominating committee is coming up this year. New leader. And we need to be aware that God wants to do some special things. But we need people who are willing to say, you know what? I'm willing to go into that. I'm willing to try that out. I never did that before, but by God's grace, I'm going to go into that and I'm going to be a blessing for him. I am called to reflect God's glory in his church. Can you say amen to that? That is what God wants you to possess. This is super important, ladies and gentlemen. This idea 
that we need to make right decisions in the beginning of the year is super important. God wants us to do all these things. And this whole new year is right before us. And God wants us to start it right. We learn number one. Good health habits, super important. Jesus said, I sanctify myself. That others would be sanctified. Do it for the sake of other people. The second thing we learn, daily, regular reading of God's word. Starting your day off with Jesus so you can recognize what his voice is saying to you the rest of the day. Third thing, praying for the daily baptism of the Holy Spirit. Anything without the Holy Spirit. Fourth thing, saying, you know what? As we get closer and closer to the second coming, I'm not backing away from God's church. I'm not stepping away. I'm not forsaking it. I'm stepping right into the middle of it because I want to be a blessing. I want to be encouraging. Not trouble, but encouraging. These are healthy decisions we need to make, and by the power of God, we can do these things, and we will succeed in our spiritual walk. God has promised a victory. Lasting is super important. Keep going. Keep going forward. Even if you fall, even when you mess up, you just get back up by the grace of God and you keep going forward. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times. Righteous people fall down. But they get back up too. They get back up. Some of you guys have seen this very interesting video about this runner, 1992 in Barcelona, running this Olympic race. And as he's running this Olympic race, all of a sudden, he tears a hamstring. And as he goes out, everyone just bypasses him. And he's there limping. And it doesn't look like he's even going to make it to the finish line. But you know what is so remarkable? His father comes out and helps him. What is so interesting, I actually have that video. Share that video with you right now. Can you say amen to that? God wants us to understand that we are not in this race alone. Amen? The race of life. The race to reflect God's glory. That he is by our side and he is determined to see that we finish this race. Amen? And as we begin 2014, there's no better way than consecrating our lives to God. And asking us, asking him to help us in this journey. He is so willing. Amen? Let's start off with just something, a very special appeal, ladies and gentlemen. If God is laying that in your heart, say, you know what? I don't want to stay at the finish line or the uh, start. I want to start this race. I want to keep going with Jesus. I want you to stand up. Say, I want to run in this race. I want to run in this race. I don't no longer want to just stay where I'm at. I want to keep moving forward by God's grace. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you. God, we just want to begin it with you. Begin it right. Father, we can just acknowledge that we can't do it without your help. Father, we are handicapped spiritually. But we are praying that you would come alongside of us and help us do that which we cannot do. Help us to make right decisions. To even put effort into the sanctification. For God, you called us to be co-laborers with you in this walk this journey. Bless each person. May their hearts be filled with the Spirit of God. May they go out knowing and trusting that Jesus loves them and that you are with them. Thank you, Lord, that being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it.
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.